You know what? A lot of people at one point, just a couple years ago, three years ago, felt like they were just on top of the world, maybe even ruling it. And a lot of CEOs have crashed and burned. A lot of organizations are in trouble. And we're watching the high and the mighty fall in a pretty amazing way. And we need to start asking this question, okay, if that can happen to some of the smartest people ever, the most influential people ever, what is it that we should cling to and trust? Because we're seeing them go down. I mean, we're watching uh, CEOs who uh, are, are maybe the, some of the greatest financial geniuses that have ever been, literally uh, being exposed for the weaknesses that happen in decision-making, in policies, in strategic moves. Uh, we're watching politicians who were rising up into literally becoming presidential candidates uh, go down in humiliation over immorality. I mean, the bottom line is we're, we're watching a world that we saw the foundation that was built on was pretty shaky. And uh, the question again is, is, who do you trust? What do you cling to? What do you hope in? How do you make decisions? And we need to do that. Uh, I'm reminded of a, a particular class reunion that was going to take place. And a man who was the CEO of the company had looked so forward to going to it so he could basically let everybody know how incredible life was and, and how well he was doing. Well, then all of a sudden it comes falling. And he almost thought, I don't know if I even want to go. Well, when he gets there, he bumps into a guy who he honestly thought lacked ambition. The guy was a Christian. He always talked about his trust in God, and he felt like that was a cop-out, and, and, and it felt like, you know, you got to work hard, and you got to get more, and this guy just enjoyed living in a kind of a normal house, and, 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 you know, was a hard worker, but never showed that degree that this man thought you needed to have to be successful, and he walks up to him, and he said, how are you doing? 
And the Christian looks at him and says, man, life has never been better. He said, I got to tell you something. I'm actually retired. He goes, you're retired? He goes, yeah, I'm debt free. And he said, you know, I, I just really have more money than I know what to do with. And the CEO said, well, how did you do that? He goes, it's pretty easy. I just grabbed my Bible, opened it up, pointed, and I saw the word oil. So I went out and bought oil futures. And they just took off. And I couldn't believe it, so I cashed them in. A couple months later, I opened my Bible and pointed at it, and it said gold. I went out and bought gold, and it doubled in value, and I sold that. He said, I'm just doing incredible. Well, the CEO thought, oh my gosh, that worked for him. Maybe it'll work for me. He left the reunion, ran to the elevator, went up to his room, ran inside, got out of Gideon's Bible and threw it open. And he pointed and it said chapter 11. (laughs) (laughs) The bottom line is you can have it all go so quickly. You can have it all and it will go quickly. I mean, I want you to think about that. I'm not trying to be doom and gloom or pessimistic, but let me just say that every single one of us are an accident away from our lives being changed in a very traumatic way. And I've watched that happen over the years. I don't know what kind of planning you think could stop that. I mean, the 91 freeway, aren't you just amazed about how many times it goes to a stop and someone's life has just been turned upside down and a family's never going to be the same? Uh, I sat one time with a young mom. Her and her husband tried to do everything right. He was taken away like that. Now she's not sure what's going to happen for childcare, And uh, she begins to wonder, you know, uh, what she's going to do to make ends meet because the house they had was, was for two incomes and now they weren't going to have two incomes. I mean, it just changed like that. Uh, I, I want to share something that you already know is true, but let's just go ahead and say it. That uh, if the Lord doesn't come back, everybody in here is going to die. You're all going to die. And the vast majority of you, it's not going to be an accident. You're going to get sick. And that's going to change everything. And if your life isn't built on the right foundation, that can really shake you up in pretty big ways. Uh, uh, John is a man I really love and care for. And um, what happened is, is he was excited that his grandkids were going to church and his kids, but he never had time for God. And uh, he walked out into his driveway, and all of a sudden, he collapses, literally flailing with his arms. His wife saw him, but by the time she got to him, he was out. They they got him to the hospital, and and his grandchildren went to me and said, come and visit our grandfather. And I went and stood at his bed, and John looked at me, and he said these words. He said, Chuck, my greatest fear in life is drowning, and I'm going to drown. If you had asked me the one way I wouldn't want to die, the one way that would scare me more than any, it would be to drown. But because of the condition of my heart and the way my lungs are functioning, the doctors are telling me what's going to happen is my heart's going to take a beat and not be able to do the next one, and I'm literally going to drown. And he said, I just, I don't know how to handle that. They had some trips planned that weren't going to take place. They had some investments put in that now they weren't sure were enough. And and he's looking at his life, realizing that he was one heartbeat away. And and the question he started asking then, what is going to make a difference for me? And uh, the good news is that I was able to lead John to the Lord. And uh, when he did die, by the way, he died that way. But there was some peace. The fear went away. And every one of us are a heartbeat away. God's not guaranteed you your next heartbeat. And, and we need to ask, what is our life going to be about? And, and an accident can change it. A health issue can change it. The economy can turn around and change it. 
Uh, we're watching people's lives, and many of you would go, Chuck, this isn't even just a sermon now. This is my life. I, I mean, I, I tried to invest correctly. I tried to do everything right, and, and it's not working. Uh, I just was uh, in Dallas, and I was talking to a man who's a financial planner and counselor, and you've actually got to have quite a bit of money for him to see you. And, and I asked the question to him, and I said, did you ever tell your clients that if they put their money in General Motors, it would be safe? And he said, you bet I did. I used to tell him that, you know what, the whole country would come down before GM comes down. And you know what, what's happening to GM, they're actually talking now on Tuesday about going into a chapter 11 reorganization and taking GM out of the Dow because they don't see them ever returning to strength. Now, now, we hope for better than that, but the bottom line is, is you can't be sure that your money's always going to be there. You know, I, I remember person after person saying this to us, hey, if you invest in real estate, you'll never lose. Right? And that's why the average baby boomer has $1,000 set aside for retirement. And they're about to retire. Why did they think that was enough? Because they thought their house was going to be their retirement. And, and a man who lives in Claremont over here, uh, five years ago, went and bought a $2 million house, invested every penny he had into it because he was planning on living there five years and flipping it. And he was going to walk away with more money than he ever thought he had. And he's walking around now feeling that he's in prison there and he doesn't know what he's going to do because he's got to retire. He's got a forced retirement coming. And, and now he's, his house is so, he, it just doesn't work. See, when we talk about finances, we're talking about life. We're talking about, about you and me and, and it affects us. And the Bible has a lot to say about finances. As a matter of fact, there's more verses about finances than there is about prayer. Now look what it says in Proverbs 18 verse 10. It says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and he is safe. A rich man's wealth is a strong city, or is his strong city. And like a high wall in his own imagination. Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, but humility goes before honor. Now, you know what that's saying? It's saying you have a choice here. If God is your strength and, and your trust, then you're going to live one kind of life and God's going to protect you. But if you think that riches are going to be your protection, riches are going to be your defense, it says that is only in your own imagination. It's, it's you're imagining it. It really doesn't work. You're, you're basing yourself on a fantasy at that point and, and you're hoping in the wrong thing. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn to Jeremiah chapter nine and I wanna show you what God says we need to do. But what we gotta ask is this, are we going to be people who trust in the right things because what can you trust? Now, I wanna tell you I am and I don't know if you are, but I'm optimistic about the economy turning around. Matter of fact, I've been watching a lot of different financial shows and most of the, the people are prognosticating that we're going to see us start to turn out of this at the end of this year and we're going to see a, a little bit of an upturn. They don't expect it to be quick. And, and, and you know what? There's a concern though. I was, I was actually watching PBS yesterday. That makes me sound so smart, doesn't it? I got to be honest, I, I didn't mean to. I was trying to turn on the game. And, uh, but I caught this, uh, this, this uh, financial show on PBS, and, and the analyst on there was saying this. He said, my concern is that we're going to take a turn and come out of this and actually see a rally, but people don't realize that it's a house built on sand. Because you know what? A lot of what's beginning to cause us to turn is money that's being printed that has no real backing. And, and you know what, is, is, is not that we're doom and gloom, 
The bottom line is wisdom says when we start to take this turn, you better handle yourself better than ever because there are some things that make us concerned. Now think about this. In the last 25 years, we've seen 40 million jobs added to this country. We've seen the Dow go from 800 to over 14,000. And everybody for a long period of time felt like it would be up, up, up and never away, but it's gone away quick. The Dow had its worst week ever and it lost 40% of its value. More than $7 trillion of shareholder value has been wiped out. And over a million people have lost their homes. And and you know what? In February, 291,000 people received foreclosure notices. And again, I know some of you are going, I got one of those. And I don't know that I did anything wrong. And I want to tell you, you probably didn't. This economy is a tough one. And and, and we may see a a reoccurrence of some of this again. As a matter of fact, one out of 54 homes in 2008 received a foreclosure notice. And our unemployment now is 9% nationally. It's over 11% in California. And you know what? I mean, some good, good people are hurting. And, and we're, we're going to have to think about what we do. Now, here's why. Right now, the debt level of the United States of America is at $9 trillion. But according to the show I was watching... They're actually playing with the number to not make it as bad as it truly is. Now, in other words, the truth is that we actually right now have $50 trillion of debt. And the country doesn't have a gross national product to be able to pull itself out of that. And that's why when this upturn begins to happen, you got to ask the question, are you going to trust in it? Or is that what's going to guide your life? Or, or is there something better? Is there a better way to live than that? And, and have we learned our lesson? And, and are we going to do something differently? See, God does call to us to have a different mindset, a different, uh, uh, a different way of living. And, and of course, the key is to trust in him. Look what it says in Jeremiah 9. And notice what he says not to do and then what he says to do. Jeremiah 9 verse 23. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness and justice and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things, says the Lord. Now, now notice what he said. I don't want you to boast in how smart you are. You know, some of you right now, you might be tempted to go, well, you know what? Actually, I'm doing great because I made all the right moves. And you know what? I want to say good, but be careful. Be careful. And you know, clearly, I don't know about you, but I'm not ever looking at some of my neighbors that are struggling and saying, what did they do wrong? Man, I know better than that. You know, and he says, don't boast in the fact you think you're so smart. Don't boast in the fact you think you're so strong because your health can go quickly. And don't boast in the fact that you think, hey, I've got enough money. He says, I want you, God says, to trust in something else. I want your life to be about more than money, more than your own physical strength, and and more uh, uh, than the fact that you think you're so smart. He says, I want you to understand something, that the best life you could ever live is a life where you understand and know me. Now, notice that's the key. Not just believe that God's out there. God says, I want you to understand me and how I want you to live. And I want you to know me and have an intimate relationship with me. And if those two things are in place in your life, you're going to have an amazing life. Not just believing in God, knowing him and understanding him and living life in a very intimate way with him. So if we're going to understand God, especially when we talk about finances, then there's four facts you have to know. 
These aren't the only four facts in the Bible about finances, but there are four facts that you need to know and grab hold of, and they need to be things locked in your mind so that you might have an incredible life. Now, what are they? Number one, the number one fact, God owns everything. God owns everything. Now, I know some of you might already kind of balk at that, but that's what God says. And in Psalm 24, verse 1, it says, The earth is the Lord and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. So every person in here belongs to God, and and the world belongs to God, and all that it contains belongs to God. I was literally preparing this message about four weeks ago, and a couple walked up to me and said, Hey, we want you to come to our house and see what we did. And they did some pretty extravagant things in this home. But as they're telling me about it, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, they're renting that house. Now, now you know what they kept saying, our house, our house, our house, which I guess isn't wrong, but is it their house? And should they have the landlord's permission to do that? Oh yeah, and by the way, they're not getting it back, right? And, and you know what I want to say, that, that a lot of people don't realize who the real owner is. Let me ask you this one, ready? How many of you in here right now own your own home? Go ahead and raise your hand. All right, look around the room. Now, now here's the thing. I want to ask, how many of you are the majority owner of your own home? In other words, you know, the bank actually doesn't own more of it than you do. How many of you? Not very many hands, right? You know what? That's pretty wild, isn't it? And, and you know why? Because right now, uh, uh, Countrywide actually owns my house more than I do, uh, and, and <laughs> which I guess maybe they don't. But anyway, uh, but you know what? Is a lot of people but act like, you know, oh, that's my house. My, and, and the reality is, is maybe your car, your house, actually there's a bank who has a bigger share of it than you do. But you know what the Bible says, actually? God owns it. And God expects you to use it correctly. And when you realize that, you realize that everything you have in life is a trust. If I ask how much of the money that comes into you belongs to God and you said 10%, that wouldn't be right. Actually, everything's God's. It's all his. And so the first thing you've got to lock in is that all, everything I have is actually God's and and I need to use it in a way that honors him. The second thing is this. Now, don't miss this one. God is an owner we can trust and has chosen to partner with us in his economy. Now, now, I know it's long, but I don't want you to miss this because it's a great fact to grab hold of. God is an owner we can trust and has chosen to partner with us in his economy. Now, now, it's really important for you to know God will never partner in your economy. You either do things his way or he's not gonna be a part of it. And he says, I want you to know that if you do things the way I tell you to, you understand me and know me, and you operate according to the economy I have, that you will be okay. Uh, Listen to what it says in Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 10. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now God starts out by saying, I want you to trust in me. Not not in the government, not in politicians. I, I want you to trust in me and I want you to understand me. So if you trust in me with all your heart and, and you lean on me and not on your own understanding, I'm going to guide you. That's what he says. It's a very intimate experience we'll have together. And then he goes on to say, I want you to honor me from your wealth. Now what does that mean? We call that the offering. 
The offering is not, uh, uh, the tithe and the offering are different. Uh, the offering is something that I take account of my life and I look at how God's blessed me and from time to time I say, God, I want to give something back to you because you keep blessing me so much. I only do it out of the blessing God pours in my life. That's the key. And so, you know what, different times in our life, Pam and I sit down and we say, okay, we've been blessed, you know, and God did this for us. And so what should we give back to the Lord over and above a tithe? And, and we have certain times of the year that we tend to do that. Thanksgiving and, and Palm Sunday usually are two. Palm Sunday, because that's when my father and Pam were baptized, we usually make an extra gift to God. And, and then at other times, like things come in and we go, oh, Lord, you know, we've been so blessed and we give to him. Now that's honoring the Lord for my wealth. Then it says, and, not, not or. And from the first of all your produce. That's called the tithe. If you're brand new to us, the word tithe means 10%. And, and, and God says, I want you to always take the first 10%, the first of your produce, any income that comes in, and I want you to give it back to me. Uh, and, and so what happens is, you know, uh, recently, beyond my, even my paycheck, I got some money in. And so I immediately, right away, 10% or more of that's going to go to God. Now, 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 that's what God says to do. And he says, if you do that, what will happen I will cause your barns to be filled with plenty and your vats to overflow with new wine. And so we need to understand that's how God economy works. Now, now fact number three. <coughs> Excuse me. How much God gives to us is determined by how trustworthy we are. How much God blesses you with is determined by how trustworthy you are with it. Now, now listen to what it says. Jesus is talking here, Luke 16, 10 and 11. He who was faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. He who was unrighteous in a very little thing is also unrighteous in much. Now, now, this is what is he talking about? Verse 11. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? Jesus said, I want you to know that when you're faithful in a little thing, I will give you more and more and more. But if you're not unfaithful, if you're unfaithful in that little thing, if you're not faithful in it, then I'm not going to keep blessing you. Now, no, he's talking about the least things, the little things is how you handle your finances. Are you faithful to him in how you handle your money? And, and he says, if you are, then I'm going to keep entrusting you with more and more awesome opportunities and responsibilities. But, but Jesse was right. By the way, was Jesse incredible today or what? <coughs> Jesse was right when she said that, those words. Nothing defines you more than how you handle your money. I mean, you could say to me, you love God with all your heart and trust him with everything you have. If you're not faithful in this area, to be honest, you're not telling the truth. By the way, you might say, who are you to say that? No, it's Jesus just said it. This is the Lord. And, and you know what? If I see you spending all your money on yourself and not taking care of your kids, what's that say? You know, I've watched, I've watched that happen, by the way. I've watched kids struggling financially to have right food have the right things in life. <clears throat> and you know what? I, I've seen dads pull in with some pretty nice cars. Uh, I, and it's heartbreaking. And, and, and he goes, well, I send my child support. I go, well, yeah, but look at you, man. You're, you're flourishing and your kids. God's not going to honor that. You know, and, and God wants us to be generous with people. And so the bottom line is, is if we're not faithful in this area of our life, God says, I'm not going to trust you with the most amazing things ever. Now, now number four, this is really important. God's blessing is upon obedience and practice, and obedience must come first. Now, God's love is unconditional, but his blessings are conditional. And his blessings are based on you being obedient first, not last. 
And so what are we talking about? We're talking about what we've been saying this whole level four series, the Asa Shema. If you haven't been here, that's out of Exodus 24 uh, in verse seven, where what happened is the people were given a, a calling by God to obey him. And then their answer was this, Asa, we will do, and Shema, then we will understand. In other words, we're gonna do it. And in doing it, we'll understand better and better what God wants for us. So the more I actually put into practice the thing God calls me to do, the more I understand how it works. So let me go ahead and talk about this financially. So for instance, how does God want you to live? And I'm going to give you the quick cliff notes. He wants the first 10% of your income to go to him. Then the next thing he wants you to do is put money away for the future, for emergencies and for a future to live on. And so that, that means maybe another 10% should be put into savings. So the first thing you do is you give to God. Next thing you do is you invest in yourself. But you do it to make sure you're taken care of and your family is. What do you do next? The next thing you do is pay your taxes. God actually tells you to pay your taxes. The government loves that, by the way. <clears throat> what do you do after that? You ready? If you have any debt, he wants you to wipe it out. But overall, God does not want you to borrow. So if you're really, truly living the way you're supposed to, 10% to God, 10% to savings, you pay your taxes, you don't borrow, you only buy what you can afford, and out of the blessings God gives, you help other people and are generous with them. Now, I want you to think about this. 10% to God, 10% to savings, pay your taxes, and never borrow. You're not in debt. If you did that for 10 years, what kind of life would you be living? 10 years from now, you've got plenty of savings. 10 years from now, you have no debt. And you know what you would do? You'd be walking around going, why doesn't everybody live this way? This is the greatest life we could ever live. I mean, think about it. What if you were literally debt-free today and all your income was able to be used in ways that would be resourced in the proper ways to, to bless other people and to do the things you wanted to do in your life? Someone walks up to you and says, hey, you want to go to Hawaii? Sure, I'm going to pay cash. Uh, you know what, and, and you're, you're in this kind of economy, you're able to go out and help people, and, and, and it's just an amazing time. And you'd walk around telling everybody, I wish you lived like this. All of you who live that way are wishing we, we joined you in it. And you know what, the more you do it, the more you go, now I get it, God, this makes sense to me. By the way, the tithe alone. Pam and I have a lot of issues in our life that we need to fix. But one of the ones we don't need to is the tithe. We, we, we give 10% to God every single time. Any kind of income comes in right to God. And you know what? It's now that we've done this for years and years and years, I can't imagine not doing it because I want to be honest, I love it. And there's a bunch of you in this room who love it. There's some of you who are going, preach it, Chuck, preach it. You know why? Because we do it. Now there's some of you going, stop, stop, you know. Um. <laughs> but I want to promise you the obedience comes and then comes the blessing. Jesus said that in Matthew 6, You know what he said? Seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. By the way, that's in a financial section of scripture. We're gonna, it's up in verse 21, 621, where he says, where your treasure is, your heart is also. And then he says, why are you so worried? And you know why most people worry? Over money. Did you know 60%, they, they just, a, a survey came out, I'll talk about this in a couple weeks, Couples whose marriages are in trouble were surveyed. They said 60% of their fights are over money. If you lived according to the way God wants you to, you would take away 60% of the reasons that most couples fight. You'd have happier kids, happier homes. And you know what? When we do this, the blessing comes. That's what God wants us to do. Now, I already know. I already know what's going on. So, so let me tell you. Uh, there's some of you sitting here today going, you know why he's talking about this? 
He's talking about this because the church needs money. That's what some of you are thinking, isn't it? Now, I I, got to tell you, I am so excited to get to say what I'm about to say. Because a year ago, I couldn't have said this. Uh, Two years ago, I wouldn't have even come close to saying this. But let me be as clear as I can. Right now, this church has never been healthier financially. I mean, never. And... And it's because of the faithful people, level four people who are here. So let me tell you this. We don't need your money. Now, and you're going, oh my gosh. No, seriously. As a matter of fact, I know some of the elders are going, don't say, no, it's true. We're fine. Now, if people stay committed and, 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 you know, God's blessing, even in this economy, I'm amazed at how this church is financially. So if you're saying, well, he's doing it to get our money, you're wrong. You know why I'm talking about it? It's to get your heart. I'm after your heart. I want you to know it's all about your heart. Where your treasure is, your heart is also. And, and, and God wants you to be completely committed to him. And, and this is about a heart issue. And, and you know what? It's, it's, this is one of those things that defines your relationship with God. It's a measure about who you are. And the question I want to ask today is this. Do you really trust him? Do you really, truly trust God? And if you do, will you obey him and live your life according to what he wants? And then... Do you believe with all your heart he'll bless you back? Now, I'm not kidding about that. I know we don't do it to get the blessing, but I'll tell you what. I have learned over the years that God is a God you can trust. So I've got four questions to ask you. Number one, do you really trust God? And I've got to ask me that. Do I really trust God? Number two, is he really the source of my trust in life? Do I believe that everything in the end goes back to him? Number three, Do I trust him in all things or in some things? Which means, am I all out committed or lukewarm? Number four, this is a good one. Ready? Can God trust me? Can God trust us? We need to ask that question. See, I want to say that I believe with all my heart you can trust God. And I believe it from God's word. I believe it from the life I've got to live with him. I believe it with every ounce of my being that I can trust him. And if today you're not trusting him with everything you have, without any quivering, without any shame, with no timidity, I want to say to you, you can trust God. Psalm 40 verse 4 says this, How blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and made the Lord his trust, and has not turned to the proud, nor laughed into falsehood. How blessed is the man who makes God his trust, and he promises to be there for you. Now, I, I want to tell you, I already mentioned it before, it's amazing how many verses talk about money, but, but here's one that does, but I want you to catch how it does it, because God's saying, I'll be there for you, I'll be there for you, but listen to what he says, Hebrews 13, 5, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. I love that passage. I love that God says to me, Chuck, I will never desert you or forsake you. I love he says to you, God himself puts himself out there and says, I promise I'm never going to desert you or forsake you. But you notice what he said, but make sure you keep yourself free from the love of money. Make sure you're not materialistic. Make sure that, you, that now by the way, does that mean you, you can't have things? You can't have a house? Or, no, no, you can have those things, but those things can't have you. And, and, and he says, I want you to be a person who looks to bless others and, and looks to be generous in heart. And he says, and I want to restore greater things into your life when you do that. Uh, when I was very, very first a Christian, it was at a college study here at Crossroads that I remember sitting and having someone talk and, and they, they shared a story about George Mueller. I'd never heard of George Mueller before. Since then, I've read autobiographies of him. But George Mueller was a man of great prayer. 
And what happened in the 1800s, he saw an incredible need in the English society. Back then, children who were orphaned were imprisoned or put in sanitariums or left to die homeless. And George Mueller said, we can't live like that. Just how we think today, we can't live watching children die. And so he began a movement called the Orphanage Movement. And, and, and believe it or not, it was a good movement in the beginning. And, and he began to take kids and put them in homes and have them be cared for. And the first group of kids, he had a house and he had a housekeeper. And, and he came walking in one night and, and he looked around and everybody was just so filled with despair. And he said, what's wrong? And they said, Mr. Mueller, there's no food to eat. And he said, well, God will provide. And they said, well, there's nothing. There's nothing. And, and he said, well, set the table. He said, set the table, there's nothing. He said, set the table. So they put all the dishes out and the bowls out and he called everybody to sit down together and he said, all right, let's pray. And they said, whoa, okay. And so he said, let's thank God for the food we're about to receive. And he actually did. He said, God, I thank you for the food we're about to receive and the way you provide. And, and he just said it with all sincerity. And then just as he said, amen, literally amen, boom, 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 there's a knock at the door. And he leans back and one of the kids runs over and opens the door. And there's a stranger standing there. And he said, um, I'm a food delivery man. I, I uh, have a wagon that takes food to houses. And, and, and I broke down out in front of your house and I'm afraid it's going to all go to waste. Do you want my food? And uh, when I heard that story the very first time, 19, I think it was 1974, I sat there and thought, that's God. Now, now I don't want you to miss what I'm saying. I, I mean, I, I, in my heart, I thought, that's who God is. That's the God I've just come to know. And since 1974, I have watched him do it again and again and again. Now, now, does God always immediately move? No, matter of fact, George Mueller, my favorite quote outside of scripture, George Mueller said this, God's rescue is never late, but seldom early. Now, now and I believe that. I, I've watched it happen, but I can tell you, when I heard that story, I thought that's the God of the Bible, and that's the God I've seen work, and that's what's happened in my life, and it's happened in the lives of others of us. Uh, Todd Horn just recently had me look at a blog of a man who, as a young married guy who talked about why he left Christianity. And I went on it and made my heart broke. You know what he said? He, he listed like 11 reasons he's not a Christian and one is God doesn't answer prayer. And I went, oh my gosh. Hey, I'm gonna tell you something. I've watched him pray, answer prayer after prayer after prayer. I'm, I'm amazed. And not, we're not talking about only things God could do, I've seen him do. And then he said, I'm tired of serving a God who's judgmental and wicked. And I thought, What? What church did you go to? I mean, did you hear what God says? He goes, know that I'm the one who exercises loving kindness and justice. You know, God loves you more than you could know. And he does want to bless you more than you could know. And he wants to give to you. And he wants to guide you. And he wants your life to matter. And when you throw yourself into him completely and trust him with everything you have, I want to tell you it's the most amazing life ever. And it's about understanding him and knowing him. And as I read this blog, this guy never, I, I'm not trying to be judgmental, he could never have known God. Because what he's describing is not God. And what he's saying is not what God does. And he just thought, well, there's just, you never knew him. And uh, so the reality is, is, is our desire is for you to have that relationship where you know him and experience him. David said these words, some boast in chariots, some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. 
And I want to tell you that without any shame, without any querying, without any timidity, I want to tell you I am not ashamed of the message of the Bible. I'm not ashamed to tell you that Jesus Christ loves you. And I'm not ashamed to tell you that you've got sin in your life and he died for your sin, but he wants to forgive you and cleanse you. I'm not ashamed to tell you that God makes demands on your life. By the way, he does. That he says, come to me and be mine completely and serve me with everything you have. And then I will cause your life to be everything you ever wanted it to be. And I'm not ashamed to tell you that. And I'm not ashamed to tell you that God will be there for you and he will take care of you. And I can say that with all sincerity because I've watched it happen over and over and over in my life and others. I'm not ashamed. And I hope you're not ashamed. And I hope you would say to everybody around you, I trust in the Lord and it's all that matters in my life. A a friend of mine... A friend of mine wrote these words. I, I remember the first time he read them, and, and it's all over the internet now, but, but this man, and I remember how charged up I got, and I thought, that's, that's what I want, and, and listen to it. He says, I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My presence makes sense. My future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, chintzy giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by the presence, learn by faith, love by patience, and lift up by power, and labor by his power constantly in prayer. My pace is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions few. My guide is reliable. My mission is clear. I cannot be bought, Compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in a maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, I won't back up, let up, or shut up until I preached up, prayed up, paid up, stored up, stayed up for the cause of Christ. I... I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until he returns, give until I job, preach until I'll know, and I'm going to work until he comes. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My colors will be clear, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love that. And I really, really know that's the life God has for us. And when you live that way, it is the most exciting, incredible life you could ever live. So here's the question, are you living it? Is God your trust? Is your life invested in him? Are you ready to say, I understand him and I know him and I love living with him? And if that isn't something that's true of you right now, let me tell you something. He wants you. He loves you. And he cares about you. And what do you do to enter into that relationship? Well, you, you make a pledge to him in prayer. You, you whisper words and say them with meaning. And, and in that moment, the shift becomes. And so right now, if you're somebody here who wants a relationship with God that's real, you want the life that you were meant to live, what we're gonna do is we're gonna go to a time of prayer and I'm gonna invite you right where you're sitting to whisper that pledge. I'll lead you in the prayer. Maybe today you're somebody who's drifted away from God and you need to come back. Or maybe you've done some things in your life that you shouldn't have done 
And, and, and some other people have even paid for what you've done. Well, let me tell you this. One ultimately did pay, and it's Jesus. And he looks at you and says, come home. He would never turn you away. He would never forsake you. He loves you. And uh, today, if you want to come back to God, I'm going to also ask you to pray that prayer. So when we go to this time of prayer, I'm hoping and praying there'll be a stirring in your heart. And you'll be ready to live this amazing life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love. I really thank you for your love. And I thank you for the life that you give me and others to live. And I thank you for the way, God, you do meet our needs. I love that we can trust you. I love you won't desert us. And I love that even when the world falls apart around us, we have something more solid. So if our health goes, an accident happens, the economy crashes, we have what matters, you. And we have others. And I pray right now, Lord, that you would stir in this building. And I pray you would begin, Lord, to send your Holy Spirit in a way that would begin to touch and minister to people and they could sense you. I pray right now, God, that there would be people in this room who deep down inside know that this is their day to say yes to you. And for some to come back, to come back home. They need to. And Lord, you're looking at them as children you love and, and you want them so much to know you as their Abba Father, to come home. It doesn't matter. There's a woman here. It doesn't matter what she just has done in this last few weeks. And uh, she's ashamed, and she's, but she needs to be forgiven. And God, you love her and want to forgive her right now. Father, I pray for people who are struggling because this is a tough time and, and they're looking at an, an uncertain future and I pray they would cling to you now more than ever. But I pray most of all, people would just say yes. I'm gonna ask that we keep praying and if you're right with God, would you pray for those who need to make a decision right now who need to pray this prayer? But right now, I'm gonna lead that prayer for anybody who wants to commit their life for the first time to Christ or recommit and come home. So right now, all of you that feel God calling you to do this, let's just whisper these words together. Say this. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurts, to make me alive, to make me new, and to make me yours. And I say, yes, I want this. And I want you. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love. Fill me with your spirit. And help me be who you created me to be. And help me live the life you have for me to live. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, praise God for all of you who prayed that prayer.